In June, we studied the book of Ruth. The story of Ruth is an amazing interlude and connection to the rest of the story of Israel. A Gentile woman, a despised Moabite widow, became the great-grandmother of the greatest king of Israel, David. Now for the rest of the summer 2019, we will study second story about another lesser-known biblical characters, or uns I might almost call it unsung heroes. That's the story of Samuel, story of Samuel. On this series on story of Samuel, I entitled the series, series Bridge Over the Troubled Water. And bridge over the troubled water, does it, something comes to your mind? Yes. I uh, borrowed a phrase from the uh, legendary American singing duet, Simon and Garfunkel, and some of you already start singing in your head, but regardless, the reason I called the story of Samuel bridge over the troubled water was because at the time, Israel was facing troubled waters and Samuel provided critical role of a transition, like a bridge. They had uh, two major challenges, or the one is uh, internal, the other one is external. Internal was that as we saw last time at the end of the book of Judges, Israel was very unstable in their tribal political leadership, and as a result, as susceptible to uh, 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 idolatry and uh, all kind of moral chaos. So they are transitioning from tribal culture to uh, and uh, this decentralized you know society to national and uh, central you know government. And people are longing for start for longing for strong leadership like a king. So Book of Samuel is about uh, how. King, you know, kingship in Israel began. The second, the external uh, turmoil was actually called the Philistine. This new foreign power began to threaten life of Israel. Philistines are very interesting people. They are not a native Canaanite. I will talk more about them, but they are new settlers who want to colonize or compete against the Israelites for the promised land. And they had a technological you know, advantages over Israelites. Because at the time, Israelites are moving slowly from Bronze Age to Iron Age. But the Philistines, they are already well established in Iron Age. And they had an economic military superiority over Israelites. So in this critical time, Samuel was born and he fulfilled the will of God. Now, anybody who read the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, who, who, who was the main person, main character? Who, whose story is about the book of Samuel? It's about David. The whole series is about David. But it was not first David or second David. It was named after Samuel. Why? Do you know why? Let me tell you clearly. Remember this. Samuel is the last judge of Israel and then first prophet in Israel. And Samuel was a kingmaker. Before we met David, we met Samuel. Through Samuel, 
David was ushered or anointed to be leader or king of Israel. So today we will study the first story of Samuel, which was about his birth. And the main character of today's story is Samuel's mother, Hannah. And Hannah's life illustrates perfect picture of faithfulness. Perfect picture of faithfulness. When you hear the word faithfulness, what comes to your mind? What comes to your mind? You know, my father always told me to be diligent and faithful. Diligent and faithful. And I got the first part because, you know, hard work is important. But I really, really didn't get the second part, be faithful. Because the word faithful sounds to me very unsexy. It's like a being nice. Be, be nice to everybody. You know, that's, that's not a how you catch attention. You know, it's like a, you tell a little boy, uh, be a good boy. I don't want to be a good boy. If a girl's to notice me, I have to be a bad boy. You know, that wasn't my mentality. So I didn't know much about ah, faithfulness, faithful, be faithful. My father always telling me, be faithful, be faithful. And then I became a Christian and began to read the Bible and I found out is absolutely right because the faithfulness is a key concept in the Bible for success and fruit in life. Jesus said, whoever is faithful with the little things, Jesus will put them in faithful in the greater things. At the end of our life, each one of us wants to hear five words from God. What is that? Well done. My what kind of servant? Faithful servant. The Greek word and the Hebrew word for faithfulness. Let me, before we go on to faithfulness, let me just bring show it to you. Greek word for the faithfulness is pistos, which came from the root word pisteo, which means believe. So it, faithfulness comes from believing and trusting God. We don't generate the faithfulness. It is a reflection of God's love and leadership in our life. And the Hebrew word for the faithfulness is imuna, imuna, which came from Hebrew root word amen. And amen simply means awesome, you know, encore, let it be so, yes, strong yes with all capital letter. And uh, so faithfulness it's basically we saying amen to what God is doing in our life and then following him. Now, Hannah's story shows us a great picture of faithfulness. Let us examine our own faithfulness. And I pray that we all upgrade our faithfulness today. For that end, I want to share with you four main, I'll call it primary colors of faithfulness. Because when you have this Primary color, you know the primary colors, right? The main colors, then you can create all the beautiful combination of a faithfulness. So first thing about faithfulness we see in the Hannah's life, number one is this, faithful people have a problems. Faithful people have a problems. Let's read a verse one to eight responsively, and since today is a, the heroine is all us uh, sisters, so I'm going to let the sisters read first. Okay, and brothers, we follow. One, two, three, sisters. 
He had two wives. One was called Hannah, the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give a portions of meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. Because the Lord has closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. A husband would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are thou hearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Hannah was married to a man with a great family pedigree, Elkanah, from the tribe of Ephraim. If you see the map, where is, I'm sorry, the map is, do you see the Ephraim in the center? In the south is a, is a Judah, and there is on the right side, there's a sea of uh, Dead Sea, and then center of Israel, there's Ephraim. That's where the Hannah's husband, Elkanah and the Hannah is from. And the Philistia, I said, that's where the Philistine was located. Now, the name Hannah means showing favor or kindness or gracious, but her life was nothing great or kind. She had a tough, chronic problem. That was her barrenness. Before we examine barrenness, I want to say one thing about uh, faithful people having uh, trouble. Faithful people serve God in midst of uh, problems. Some people think that, uh, some people that I encounter in church and life is, is Christians, they, they look for the perfect time to serve God. If you always look for the perfect time to grow spiritually, you'll never find the perfect time. There's no perfect time. It's like somebody saying, well, I'll exercise when I have more time. People like that don't exercise. You need to make a time. Satan is a smart. If you look for the best time to grow or more time to grow, he will always create a tyranny of urgency in your life. Now, Faithful people serve in spite of the problems. Now let's look at the Hannah problem that Hannah has. Hannah has a classical problem of a being a barren or infertile. That's obviously unintentional. That's not beyond her ability. But that's not the all. She also has other problem, which is all man-made and intentional. Now, in Hannah's case, Slightly, the Hannah was the, uh, she named the first, so she's the first wife. But because she was infertile, Elkanah most likely took the second wife, Penina, to continue his family genealogy. And to make a matter worse for Hannah, Penina was baby factory. She was a baby factory. It was bad enough to have to share your husband with another woman, but you have to stand by and watch that second wife or that woman you never you know, intended in your life, 
pop out babies year after year. That would be very unbearable. And Bible said that Penina provoked Hannah twice, you know, twice they mentioned. So can you see that Penina doting on her children with a smirk and, you know, the sayings to Hannah that are, oh, Hannah, you know, I know it's, uh, you know, you think uh, it's a really difficult to have a baby? Well, you know, actually, I think it's a blessing in disguise. You know, I, 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 my, I have so many kids and so many, you know, I don't have time for myself. But you do. I envy you. I don't know how Hannah responds each time Penina just a jabber like that. And then her husband, Elkanah, was not much help. Even though he meant well. And verse 8, he said, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 cents? You know, problems like that, good food doesn't solve the problem. Elkanah is a kind of a clueless husband that I see in, in me and many of us. You know, he wants to solve a problem by giving stuff. That doesn't help, especially when he's a part of the problem. And there are points for fellow, fellow, for all, fellow husbands, for all of us. You know, sometimes we want to minimize a pain, like Elkanah, because when we minimize pain, we feel better. Ah, you can handle it. So this is what he said. Oh, am I, you know, even though you don't have son, but I'm better than how many sons? Ten sons? You know, sometimes people's pain is so deep. You don't have to assess them or compare them to different pain. What God calls us times like that, we grieve with them. We weep with them. Don't say words that uh, they didn't ask you to say. Now, the worst time for this family was when they go to annual pilgrimage to a place called Sila. It's like, uh, you know, people with uh, this kind of chronic, serious unfulfillment, the holidays and vacation is the worst. So imagine Elkanah would have to, you know, take a whole family to a silo. It's like today we all hop into the minivan and going, and you cannot avoid, you know, you have to face these people 24-7. And that's when Hannah has to endure all the smirk and the comments and jabs from Penina. And no wonder. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, verse 7, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Hannah arrived in the silo, that's where the uh, temple, whatever, the tent of a holy tent or tabernacle was located at the time, most depressed. You know, when I, so when I read this and I kind of thought that a Church should be the most Sunday. Worship and fellowship should be most celebratory. And especially the newcomers, I hope the church should be the visitors, should be a really great, great place. But oftentimes I found in the churches, 
where the members are just talk to each other and leaving the newcomers out. It happened in our church too. Some of you, you just you know, greet to people that you know and then go quickly get the food and go and sit. And then I saw some newcomers all, you know, kind of a, kind of a very trying to find their space. Man, times like that, I just want to have a telepathy to your, your brain and say, that, Shh, don't you know God placed you here to welcome others as a Christ to welcome you? you sorry, I will not say the word. You sinner. Okay. And uh, because I've seen that in, you know, other churches too. And speaking about, uh, uh, I just, a uh, uh, very important side announcement. You know, Sunday, now we, I, I don't know you noticed, that we have a attendance went up. There's a food. I saw people in the back of the line don't have enough food. And then I saw food throwing in the, in the garbage can. Some people took too much food, didn't finish and throw away, where the other people in the back didn't have enough food. It's like a Corinthian chapter 11 all over in the forest version. And didn't we talk about that? So educate your people. It's okay to go first, but take her sensibly and come back later. You know, don't, this is not a buffet. You know, we, we, we don't run buffet restaurant here. People, some people say, oh, Pastor Paul, let's have uh, people to put on the food. Yes, now I understand why in the other churches there are some people who put the food on the plate. But uh, please educate people that uh, take us sensibly and then leave food and then come back second time. You know, please come back second time. Because by the time you finish, probably line, you know, you already can come back. All right. Now, before I go, I, I, this is a point that I want to. The Panina, the way, you know, look at, before I go to Hannah, I, I just want to talk about Panina for a second. Panina was a blessed. We don't know how many children she has. She must have definitely several. But how does she use her God-given blessings? She used that God-given blessing to taunt Hannah. How do we use our blessings? If we use our blessings for our own egos and pride, let me tell you, you we are Panina. If your blessings are not blessing other people, let me tell you, you don't have a blessing. You just have a stuff. This covenantal meal, the annual celebration of worshiping, you know, God's deliverance and the Passover and all this, it became the saddest time for Hannah. Because Penina, who could encourage Hannah or you know, be sensitive is totally clueless. Now, let me go back to the, let me, let's focus on Hannah's problem of a barrenness. Having no child or infertile means no child, especially no son. That means no heir, no future, no historical possibility. And uh, Old Testament uh, commentator on, on the book of uh, 1 Samuel said, actually Hannah's story 
reflect the Israel in microcosm. Israel, just like Hannah, didn't have the king, the strong leader. So Hannah's you know, story from problem to resolution, they actually reflect the Israel's story. They're looking for, searching for birth of spiritual strong leader like uh, King David. And as you know, King David doesn't come until chapter 16. So this kind of reflect. Now, we are all barren in one way or another. Hannah is, a, is not the only one who is infertile. I feel like we are all barren in certain areas of life. Whether it is uh, actual children, or it can be uh, uh, actually, you have children, but your children are so unproductive, their life, you feel that uh, you know, your children are infertile, or you feel your relationship is uh, very barren, dry. Your marriage is dry, or some of us, career, your job is uh, very you know, dry and barren. We are all barren. As a pastor, I feel our church is barren. Especially many house churches are barren, infertile. We are, I mean, I know, we're we there, so we are Hannah, so I'm not discouraging you, I'm just uh, stating the fact. We've been praying for the VIP, and somehow churches as a VIP, praise God. And, you know, we're going to have a bowling, uh, bowling uh, fellowship in two weeks from now, and hopefully we'll have more, you know, we can invite uh, our non-Christian friends. But our church, do you notice that our church is infertile? Just like uh, many, many other churches, we are growing in membership. Thank God. But at the same time, the old king, our growth doesn't reflect the kingdom growth. So we welcome all the newcomers, new brothers and sisters, found the forest to be their family, and we really thank God for you, and we want to grow together, but know this, we exist to find the lost. We don't exist for our own spiritual you know, nourishment. What is a spiritual nourishment without saving souls? We'll be fattened. We'll be Ephesus Church, which forgot the first love. Now, let me move on to, so before I go, do you really notice that you are barren and we are barren? I hope that we all cry out for our barrenness. All cry out that God give us a child, just as Hannah cried out, figuratively speaking. And then God will help you. The second point about faithful people or second is that a faithful people Pray their hearts out to God with a bow. With a bow. And then let me read quickly verse 9 to 16. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in silo, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, Eli the priest, was sitting on his chair with the doorstep of the house. And in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and she made a vow. And saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, I will give him to the Lord 
for the, all the days of his life, no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was a praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but voice was not heard. Eli thought she was a drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. No, sir, my Lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. There's a beer in the Bible. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. I want us to notice the way that she prayed. Look at the verse 10. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord. Uh, well, uh, the uh, King James Version translates this term better. Actually, it's closer to the uh, Hebrew text. King James Version translates, and she was in bitterness of a soul, and prayed unto the Lord, and wept sore. Okay. And the word bitterness, Hebrew word for bitterness is mara. Where did you hear the word mara before? In our previous study in the book of Ruth, when Naomi came back to Israel, after death of a husband and two husband and two sons, she said, "Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. I'm empty and bitter." So she prayed bitterness in bitterness. Hannah prayed out of her heart. That means her. She prayed in bitterness, and that's the one thing that I want us to pay attention. Hannah. One thing Hannah did was that she didn't, you know, ask other people. She just went to God directly. And she prayed. And she prayed to God and she called God what? Lord Almighty, right? Lord Almighty. Verse 11, Lord Almighty. Hebrew texts actually say Lord of a host. Literally, is a Lord of the hosts. That means God of all hosts, God of all armies, God Almighty. Back then, military, I think, of power and you know strength. That's how they created. Hannah was basically that Lord God of all, all hosts. I'm losing my battle. I'm about to be slaughtered unless you rescue me, my champion and my general. Lord, I need your help. That's what she's crying out. And here, we don't know exactly you know, what, she, what she was saying, but the Bible said she was praying so intensely that there was no word came out. So one thing we know about prayer is a prayer is not about uh, you know, using... In, articulating beautifully what you want to present before God. Most important thing of prayer is to bring your heart to God. 
Pilgrims, American pilgrims has this saying, pray until you pray. Pray until you pray. What does that mean, pray until you pray? That means pray until you are praying from the heart. Oftentimes when I pray, I have a list of everybody's prayer requests, and I just, you know, pray. I just go through the list as much as, you know, imaginatively, and then, you know, best possible way I just, you know, elaborate and pray to God. And then, you know, after you prayed everything, you know that there is something more to pray about what you just prayed. You go back and you do second praying. Sometimes I go back third time and pray more. And sometimes at the end, I just don't pray. I just, I just make a sound. I just make, you know, I don't speak tongue like somebody. But I do kind of moan. Pray until you pray from your heart. And the second thing that I also noticed about Hannah's prayer is that Hannah made a vow. Hannah made a vow. And I want us to understand this very clearly. Hannah is not bargaining with God. If you think, uh, you know, Hannah, Hannah's prayer teaching us to, oh, you, you, you have, in order to get the answered prayer, you have to offer God some deal, you are absolutely <laughs> wrong. Because, you know, it's not like, uh, his, she's saying, that, God, if you do this, I'll do this. That's a total misconception, mis misconception, because if you think, we have really something to bargain with God or something that God wants and cannot have, your perception of God is utterly absurd. And also, you think that we are in the same level with God? It's, it's total, I mean, total misunderstanding of all things. You're overestimating yourself. You're totally downsizing God. Now, perhaps what Hannah was praying here is this. That God, not for me, but for your sake, give me a child. And this child will not be my child, but your child. And that's why she made a vow what? I'm going to raise him as a Nazareth. You know, especially, you know, dedicated child. And I'll give to you, I'll give him to you. And now, think about this. Penina never prayed like this because she has no, no need to pray like that, right? She's, for her, baby is just coming out naturally. You know, maybe her problem is that uh, too many. Hannah, her unfulfilled desire actually led her to fulfill God's will for Israel. So, one commentator said this. God used Hannah's unfulfilled desire to accomplish a purpose beyond our wildest dream. Hannah's vow represents a turning point in Israel's history. Birth of a son was a crucial hinge on which Israel's future swung. 
In his lifetime, Hannah's son Samuel would cleanse Israel of idolatry and establish David as a king. But in order for, for that to happen, Samuel would need to grow up in the unique environment of the house of God as Siloh, mentored by Eli the priest. Here is the deal. If Hannah has not been brought to the last place of desperation through her unfulfilled desire, she never would have made a vow to give us unto God. And you see, in the midst of unfulfilled desire, you don't always see the bigger picture of what God is doing. But make no mistake, God always doing something. God is fulfilling His purposes. His purposes are good. So, making a vow before God, in prayer, at the end of all prayer, we'll come back to that at the last point, is actually we are surrendering everything to God. That's the final end of a prayer. And C.S. Lewis, in his famous sermon, The Weight of Glory, he said this, he, God cannot bless us unless God has us. When we try to keep uh, keep with, when we try to keep within us an area that is our own, we try to keep an area of a death. Therefore, in love, God claims it all. There is no bargaining with Him. Prayer is ultimately let God have everything that we have, including area that, are, especially the area that are unfulfilled, we have the God you control that area. I surrender that area to you. That's what Hannah is doing. And now, let's second half of the story is about the result of that prayer. Now, third part is this. Now, faithful people believe in God's promise and enjoy peace. Let me read over 17 to 20. Eli answered, oh, so by the way, Eli, I just forgot to mention Eli. Eli, we'll meet him several times. What kind of pastor is this? It's a priest. But he couldn't distinguish prayer and drunkenness. You know, talking about inept priest or pastor. You know, here is one. I feel so comforted by Eli. And God used Eli to comfort and then give us strength. So I was very encouraged by Eli. Now, Eli answered, Go in peace. May the God of Israel grant you what you ask of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her, went her way, ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they rose and worshipped before the Lord and went back to their home at Ramah. And Elkanah made a love to her, uh, his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of the time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. If anyone might have, uh, might have been expected to leave Silo bitter, it must be Hannah. But something happened. You know, verse 18 said, She ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. By the way, nothing happened to Hannah. Same circumstance. She didn't have a baby, but she got the peace. Why? She believed in God's promise. And the first time 
we hear Hannah's voice when God, she is speaking to God. Verse 18, may your servant find in your eyes. And then she went away. I think prayer is a valuable, not because we get what we want, but at the end of our prayer, we, we find God. And we find, once again, she didn't get a son yet here, right? She got nothing here, but she got peace. She got, you know, she began to eat, began to enjoy life. Why? At the end of her prayer, she found God to be the greatest treasure that she has. And that's why prayer is important. That's why Charles Colton said, anything is a blessing which makes us pray. Anything, think about it. Anything is a blessing which makes us pray. Why? In prayer, especially prayer in the midst of anguish and bitterness, we find God never has forgotten us. God always working in our life and remembers us. Now, the Lord remembered Hannah. In due time, she was conceived a child, and she named him Samuel. Samuel means, came from two words, Shem and El. Shem means the name or reputation or renown. So I, my interpretation of Samuel will be the, the, the name by God or renown of God. This child is given by God or named by God. Now, the, now, some of our, realistically, some of us, when I, right now, you're thinking, that Pastor Paul, I pray really hard, but uh, I didn't get my Samuel. I'm still married. I'm still knocking on the door. How long I have to do this? Okay, I have a story to share with you. I read a story of a pastor named Randy Fraze. I don't know exactly uh, much more about it, but his commentary on this passage was uh, that I'm, I'm sharing with you. His mother was uh, very sick, and somehow he arrived in the conclusion that he's going to pray for her sickness, uh, healing for 50 times. So 50 days he prayed. It, it came out of the story of, and of uh, King Hezekiah. And then he, because of, you know, Second uh, King chapter 20, when, when King Hezekiah asked God to extend his life, God extended his life 15 years. So based on that, he prayed 50 times and he asked God to extend his mother's life 18 years. Because just a newborn uh, uh, a great nephew, he wanted his mother to see or grandmother to see him graduate from high school. You know, good prayer. And then he prayed. And then he said, after the fifth year's prayer, God granted his prayer, answered his prayer, and God granted her 18 more hours, and she passed away. He prayed for 18 years, and God granted her exactly 18 hours. So this pastor, he asked himself, I had to ask myself the question, what's that all about? Does God not love me? 
Have I not served him like Hezekiah did? Did he not see my tears when I turned my face to the wall and wept bitterly? Why did God come through Hezekiah, not for me? And then he said this. Someday it will be worth noting a study of all those in the Bible who heard God say no in answer to their request. The list would be impressive. It would include Moses when he asked God to allow him to enter the promised land. God said no. David, when he begged God to spare the life of his first son by Bathsheba, God said no. Elijah, when he grew up so tired of his ministry, asked God to just take him, him. God said no. Paul, when he asked God three times to remove the thorn in his flesh, God said no. And most amazing of all, Jesus, when he asked God, if all possible, the cup of suffering be removed from him, God said no. Sometimes, the answer that is the most consistent with God's plan is no. And then he said this, Although it may not feel like it right now, God's no may actually be more loving than a yes. In Matthew 7, 71, Jesus said, Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. And knock, and door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, his son, asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you, then though you are evil, know how to give a good gift to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those asking him? And Pastor Praise is the last comment on this. God will never give his child a stone when he asks for bread. But have you considered that God might give us bread that looked like a stone? Have you considered that God might give us bread that looks like stone? You know, God's answer sometimes is no. And because it is no, doesn't mean God doesn't love us. Sometimes God's no is actually a form of God's yes. And then let me move on quickly to the second Corinthians chapter one. This is what Paul said. As surely as a God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For Son of God, Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas Timus, was not yes and no, but in him it was always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And through him, the amen, amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Apostle Paul said, God answers all our prayers, prayers to him in Christ. In Christ, all prayers is yes. Christ is the ultimate yes, to God, ultimate yes of God to us. Colbert said, God decisively spoke to us in his son. And he spoke resounding yes to us in his son. You know, sometimes we, we don't have a, some, you know, we don't have a son that we wanted. But we all have an ultimate son from God. That is a Jesus Christ. 
So whether you're yes and no, it's all summed up in Jesus Christ. So because you have a no right now, don't lose your heart. You already, we all have a son. We have an ultimate yes in Jesus Christ. It's a hard to wait, hard to, you know, receive the denial from God, but I, you haven't seen the full picture yet. I remember from my own, you know, one of my own bitter prayer was uh, when I left my flourishing first ministry in California, church that I devoted my 20s and 30s, and the church grew, you know, a handful of people to sizable church and they all finished the beautiful buildings and everything. And then when I left the church, people, you know, said that, you know, it took me two years to leave the church. I went to Princeton because I, God called me to do a PhD. But after first year, I didn't get into PhD. Second year, I knew that Princeton is not the place. That's a different story. And so finally, I have to try in the third year. And especially after the second, first year, second year, I remember driving around. Uh, oh, where is, uh, okay, Alex Parker knows. Plainsboro, New Jersey. That's, a, you know, west of uh, Princeton, city of Princeton. I was driving around my minivan and screaming at God, why did you call me? <laughs> and I was screaming at God because I left the church that I love and that church didn't do well after I left somehow that gave me, and then people are all, you know, they, 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 they are, you know, they're wandering and they, some of them blaming me for, for leaving them that situation. It pained me. You know, I don't have an ego that, uh, you know, that our oh, church did well when I was there. I wish the church did well. I mean, better when I'm gone. You know, so I was crying out to God. But when I came to, finally, when I received from acceptance from Baylor's PhD and came, he totally made a sense. Because at the time, I prayed to God, God, I don't want to do PhD for the sake of uh, academic pedigree. I want to do PhD to really, really answer some of the questions I have about you and theology and the church. I don't want to just get a PhD for the namesake. I don't want to have another letter after my name. That's not what I'm after. I want to do a study on the master church theologian who loved the church, who want to build a church without your truth. In 2002, when I came to Baylor, New professor came to Baylor at the same time. His name is D.H. William. Very well, I mean, premier patristic scholar, a rare scholar among Protestants who knows about the early church. More than some usually Roman Catholics, Roman Catholics and Anglicans, they are the expert. He is a, one of the few evangelical Baptists know about the early church. And he opened my eyes. And then I knew why God called me there. Had I come here earlier, my chunk of my coursework I've done without him. Jamie probably, I don't know, remember. After, you know, I was, I was, I didn't know anything about Texas. Who wants, to, sorry, who wants to come to Texas? I'm sorry, no offense to Texas. Waco, town name weird. And, but I went there. And after that class, I rushed the house and said, Jamie, this is why God called me to this place. 
I didn't see it until God showed me. You don't see it, but one day God will show you. Hopefully while you while here. But even if not, you will see it. Let me move on to final point. Faithful people, ultimately they dedicate their blessing to God. Look at the verse 21. When her husband Elkanah went up all her fam his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is wind, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you have wind him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had a wind him. After he was a wind, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old boy, an apple of a flower, a skin of a wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord as Silo. When, he, when the boy was sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I'm the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I pray for this child. The Lord has granted me what I ask of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. When Hannah had Samuel, can you imagine her joy? Last time we saw in the book of Ruth that uh, Naomi had a uh, Obed and she was smiling. I think uh, Hannah was smiling here too and laughing perhaps, just like uh, Sarah did in, in Genesis. And when he started with this, a time for the, another time to go back to Silo for annual sacrifice and feast, here is a chance for Hannah to go and rub it against uh, Penina, right? You have a son? I do too. You know? Hannah didn't go. She has a chance to go and then enjoy the, you know, proclaim the world that uh, I'm no longer disgraced. God loves me too. She didn't take a chance to shut the penina up or vindicate it or have her shame removed. She decided not to go. Why? She wanted to keep her vow. And then she wanted to keep the child until he was weaned. That means two, three years old. And soon as he went, what did he do? Hannah doesn't wait until the next annual family trip. Soon as he went, Bible said, early next morning. I mean, soon as he went, verse 24, after he was went, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with the three-year-old boy. Actually, the original Hebrew text is that uh, it's a three balls. So there is, a, you know, the translators, they kind of, is not sure. But important thing is, Hannah did not wait. She immediately kept a bow. Soon as a child is a wind. And she brought that 
three boys or three years old, that means she brought the best gift to the temple. This is a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Rich sacrifice of thanksgiving. She's not giving her son to begrudgingly to God that, oh, you know, I have to, you know, I promise I have to give them. You know, this is my pledge that I have to give. No, she was joyfully and gratefully giving her son to God. What's the ultimate sign of a faithfulness? Ultimate sign of a gratitude. Ultimate end of a worship. That is a surrendering ourselves to God. Surrendering everything that God gave to us. That is the way that we can really be fruitful and faithful. Penina has more sons and daughters than Hannah. But we don't see her giving her son to God. We don't know. We don't know how many children she had. We never heard about the Penina's children, but we know from here on what God has done through and for Samuel. When we give, when we surrender God's blessing back to God, guess what? Blessing become a true blessing. This story is not about pray to God hard and, and then get what you want. No. This story is about meet God in the depth of your heart and disappointment and anguish and surrender yourself to God and receive his peace. And in due time, God will use your blessing. God will use your surrender. We're going to sing a song, the dedication song, I Am Dead. And before we sing uh, this is a dedication as a prayer, I want us to read together. Can you have the words? Yes. Because I want us to, you know, know what we are singing. One, two, three. Let's read together. One, two, three. Waking up to a new sunrise, looking back from the other side, I can see now with open eyes. Darkest water and deepest pain. I wouldn't trade it for anything, cause my brokenness brought me to you, and these wounds are story we will use. I'm thankful for the scars, cause without them I would know your heart, and I know they'll always tell of who you are, but forever I'm thankful for the scars. Our problems point out faithfulness and power and love of God for us. The scar that he's talking about is a scar of Jesus Christ. Our problem shows how much God loves us. Let us all stand and sing this song.